0: Chapter eleven. Of No Clue. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Roger Moline. No Clue by James Hay. Chapter eleven. Motives revealed. She let go his hand, and still leaning toward him, waited for him to speak. A confusion of misgivings assailed her. She regretted having confided in him. If his anger embraced Byrne as well as Judge Wilton, she had done nothing but harm. Seeing her dismay, he tried again to reassure her. "'But no matter,' he minimized his own sense of shock. "'I'm sure I'll understand if you'll tell me more. Your explanation?' Obviously, the only inference he could draw from her story, as she had told it, was that Webster had killed the woman, and— found bending over her body, had sprung forward to silence the man who had discovered him. Nevertheless, it was equally evident that she was sincere in attributing to Webster a different motive for preventing the judge's outcry. Consideration of that persuaded Hastings that she could give him facts which would change the whole aspect of the crime. Her hesitance now made him uneasy. He recognized the necessity of increasing her reliance upon him. If she told him only a part of what she knew, he would be scarcely in a better position than before. "'Naturally,' he added, you can throw light on the whole incident, light by which I must be guided to a great degree.' "'If Byrne were not ill,' she responded to that, "'I wouldn't tell. It's because he's lying up there.' his lips closed, unable to keep a lookout for developments, at the mercy of what the sheriff may do or say. That's why I feel so dreadfully the need of help, Mr. Hastings. She slid back in her chair, moving farther from him, as if his kindly gaze disconcerted her. If he hadn't suffered this collapse, I should have left the matter to him, I think. But now, now I can't. She straightened again her chin up, the signal with her of final decision. He acted on his impulsive desire to prevent my being shocked by that discovery, that horror out there on the lawn. Things had happened to convince him that such a thing, shouted through the night, would be a terrific blow to me. I'm sure that that was the only idea he had when he put his hand over Judge Wilton's mouth. "'I can believe that,' he said. Tell me why you believe it. Oh, she protested, hands clenched on her knees. If it affected only him and me. Her suspicion of her father recurred to him. It was, he thought, back of the terror he saw in her eyes now. But it does affect only him and me, after all, she continued fiercely, as much to strengthen herself in what she wanted to believe as to force him to that belief. Let me tell you the whole affair, from beginning to end." She proceeded in a low tone, the words slower, as if she labored for precision and clarity. I must go back to Friday, the night before last. It seems months ago. I had heard that Byrne had become involved in some sort of relationship with his stenographer, that she had been dismissed from his office and refused to accept the dismissal as final. I mean, of course, I heard she was in love with him, and he'd been in love with her, or should have been. It was told me by a friend of mine in Washington, Lucy Carnley. It seems another stenographer overheard the conversation between Byrne and Miss, Miss Brace. It got out that way. It was very circumstantial. I couldn't help believing it, some of it. Lucy wouldn't have brought me idle gossip, I thought. She drew in her underlip to hide its momentary tremor and shook her head from side to side once. All that, Mr. Hastings, came up as a matter of course when Byrne reached here evening before last for the weekend. I'd just heard it that day. He denied it said there had been nothing remotely resembling a love affair. He was indignant and very hurt. He said she had misconstrued some of his kindnesses to her. He couldn't explain how she had misconstrued them. At any rate, the result was that I broke our engagement. I— ''Friday night!'' Hastings exclaimed involuntarily. He grasped on the instant how grossly Webster, by withholding all this, "'had deceived him, left him in the dark. "'Yes, and I told father about it,' she hurried her words here, "'the effect of her manner being the impression that she hoped this fact "'would not bulk too large in the detective's thoughts. "'The three of us had a talk about it Friday night. "'Father's wonderfully fond of Byrne "'and tried to persuade me I was foolishly ruining my life. "'I refused to change my mind.' When I went upstairs, they stayed a long time in the library, talking. I think they decided the best thing for Byrne was to stay on here, through yesterday and today, in the hope that he and father might change my mind. Father tried to, yesterday morning. He was awfully upset. That's one reason he's so worn out and sick today. I love my father so, Mr. Hastings. She held her lips tight shut a moment, a sob struggling in her throat. "'But my distress, my own hurt pride—' "'What did your father say about Mildred Brace?' Hastings asked when she did not finish that sentence. She looked at him, again with widened eyes, a startled air, putting both her hands to her throat. "'There,' she said, voice falling to a whimper then turning her face half from him she whispered so low that he heard her with difficulty i wish i were dead her words frightened him they had so clearly the ring of truth as if she would in sober fact have preferred death to the thought which was breaking her heart suspicion of her father that was why Byrne stopped the judge's outcry she said at last turning her white face to him He had the sudden wild idea that I'm afraid you have, that father might have killed her. And Byrne did not want that awful fact screamed through the night at me. Oh, can't you see? Can't you see that, Mr. Hastings? It's entirely possible. Mr. Webster may have thought that. But let's keep the story straight. What had your father said about Mildred Brace to arouse any such suspicion? He was angry, terribly indignant. You know I made no secret to you of his high temper. His rages are fierce. Once, when he was that way, I saw him kill a dog. If it had... But I think all men who are unstrung nervously, as he is, have high tempers. He felt so indignant because she had come between Byrne and myself. He blamed neither Byrne nor me he seemed to concentrate all his anger upon her. He said, You see, Mr. Hastings, I tell you everything. He threatened to go to her, and he had, of course, no definite idea what he would do. Finally, he did say he would buy her off, pay her to leave this part of the country. After that, he said, he knew I wouldn't see things clearly, and Byrne and I would be reconciled. Hastings remembered Russell's assertion that Mildred had her ticket to Chicago. "'Did he buy her off?' he asked quickly. "'Oh, no. He was merely wishing that he could, I think.' "'But he made no attempt to get in touch with her yesterday. You're sure?' "'Quite,' she said. "'But don't you see, Mr. Hastings? Father was so intense in his hatred of her that Byrne thought of him the moment he found that body out there. He thought father must have encountered her on the lawn in some way, or she must have come after him, and he, in a fit of rage, struck her down. Has Webster told you this? No, but it's true, it is. But if your supposition is to hold good, how did your father happen to be in possession of that dagger? which evidently was made with malice aforethought, as the lawyers say. "'Exactly,' she said, her lips quivering, hands gripping spasmodically at her knees. "'He didn't do it. He didn't do it. "'Burn's idea was a mistake.' "'Who then?' he pressed her, realizing now that she was so unstrung she would give him her thoughts unguarded. "'Unguarded. "'Why, that man Russell,' she said, her voice so low and the words so slow that he thought her at the limit of her endurance. But I've said all this to show you why Byrne put his hand over the judge's mouth. I want to make it very clear that he feared father—think of it, Mr. Hastings—had killed her. At first I thought, She bowed her face in both her hands and wept unrestrainedly, without sobs, the tears streaming between her fingers and down her wrists. The old man put one hand on her hair and with the other brought forth his handkerchief, being bothered by the sudden mistiness of his spectacles. "'A brave girl,' he said, his own voice insecure. "'What a woman!' "'I know what you mean.' At first, you feared your father might have been concerned in the murder. I saw it in your eyes last night. You had the same thought that young Webster had, rather that you say he had. Her weeping ceased as suddenly as it had begun. She looked at him through tears. And I've only injured Byrne in your eyes, I think irreparably. This morning I thought you heard me, when I asked him not to let it be known that our engagement was broken. Don't you remember? You were on the porch as we came around the corner? For the first time since its utterance, he recalled her statement then. We'll have to leave it as it was. And Webster's significant rejoinder. He despised his own stupidity. Had he magnified Webster's desire to keep that promise into guilty knowledge of the crime itself? and had not the mistake driven him into false and valueless interpretations of his entire interview with Webster? He promised, Lucille pursued, for the same reason I had in asking it, to prevent discovery of the fact that father might have had a motive for wishing her dead. It was a mistake, I see now, a terrible mistake. Can you tell me why you didn't have the same thoughts about Byrne? He was sorry he had to make that inquiry. If he could, he would have spared her further distress. Why wouldn't he have had the same motive, hatred of Mildred Brace, a thousand times stronger? I don't know, she said. I simply never thought of it. Not once. Fine psychologist that he was, Hastings knew why that view had not occurred to her. Her love for Webster was an idealizing sentiment, putting him beyond even the possibility of wrongdoing. Her love for her father, unusual in its devotion as it was, recognized his weaknesses nevertheless. And while seeking to protect the two, she had told a story which, so far as bald facts went, incriminated the lover far more than the father. She had attributed to Sloane, in her uneasiness, the motive which would have been most natural to the discarded Webster. Even now she could not suspect Byrne. Her only fear was that others, not understanding him as she did, might suspect him. Although she had broken with him, she still loved him. More than that, his illness and consequent helplessness increased her devotion for him, "'brought to the surface the maternal phase of it. "'If she had to choose between the two, "'Hastings thought, "'she'd save Webster every time. "'I know. "'I tell you, Mr. Hastings, "'I know neither Byrne nor Father "'is at all responsible for this crime. "'I tell you,' she repeated, rising to her feet, "'as if by mere physical height "'she hoped to impress her knowledge upon him, i know they're innocent don't you know it she stood looking down at him her whole body tense arms held close against her sides the knuckles of her fingers white as ivory her eyes now were dry and brilliant he evaded the flat statement to which she pressed him but your knowledge miss Sloane, and what we must prove he said, also standing, are two different things just now. The authorities will demand proofs. I know. That's why I've told you these things. Somehow her manner reproached him. You said you had to have them in order to handle this, this situation properly. Now that you know them, I'm sure you'll feel safe in devoting all your time to proving Russell's guilt." she moved her head forward to study him more closely. "'You know he's guilty, don't you?' "'I'm certain Mrs. Brace figured in her daughter's murder,' he said. "'She was concerned in it somehow. "'If that's true, and if your father approached "'neither her nor her daughter yesterday, "'it does seem highly possible that Russell's guilty.' "'He turned from her and stood at the window.' his back to her a few long moments. When he faced her again, he looked old. "'But the facts. If we could only break down Russell's alibi—' "'Oh!' she whispered in new alarm. "'I'd forgotten that.' All the tenseness went out of her limbs. She sank into her chair and sat there, looking up to him, her eyes frankly confessing a panic fear. I think I'm sorry I told you, she said desperately. I can't make you understand. Another consideration forced itself upon her. You won't have to tell anybody, anybody at all, about this, will you, now? He was prepared for that. I'll have to ask Judge Wilton why he acted on Mr. Webster's advice, and what that advice was. What they whispered to each other when you saw them. Why, that's perfectly fair, she assented, relieved. That will stop all the secrecy between them and me. It's the very thing I want. If that's assured, everything else will work itself out. Her faith surprised him. He had not realized how unqualified it was. Did you ask the judge about it? he inquired. Yes, just before I came in here, after Byrne's collapse. I felt so helpless. But he tried to persuade me my imagination had deceived me. He said they had had no such scene. You know how gruff and hard Judge Wilton can be at times. I shouldn't choose him for a confidant. No, I reckon not. But we'll ask him now, if you don't mind. Willis, the butler, answered the bell and gave information. Judge Wilton had left Sloanehurst half an hour ago and had gone to the Randalls. He had asked for Miss Sloane, but learning that she was engaged, had left his regrets, saying he would come in tomorrow, after the adjournment of court. "'He's on the bench tomorrow at the county seat,' Lucille explained the message. He always divides his time between us and the Randalls when he comes down from Fairfax for his court terms. He told me this morning he'd come back to us later in the week. On second thought, Hastings said, that's better. I'll talk to him alone tomorrow about this thing, this inexplicable thing, a judge taking it upon himself to deceive the sheriff even. But— he softened his sternness of his tone. He must have a reason, a better one than I can think of now. He smiled. And I'll report to you when he's told me. I'm glad it's tomorrow, she said wearily. I... I'm tired out. On his way back to Washington, the old man reflected. Now she'll persuade Sloane to do the sensible thing, talk. Then, to bolster that hope, he added a stern truth. He's got to. He can't gag himself with a pretended illness forever. At the same time, the girl he had left in the music room wept again, saying over and over to herself, in a despair of doubt, Not that. Not that. I couldn't tell him that. I told him enough. I know I did he wouldn't have understood end of chapter 11 recording by roger meline